Welcome back to Empowering Life Ministries podcast. I'm Daryl Barber and I'll be your host today. Uh, we're looking into the Feast Day of Atonement. This is actually going to be part six on this. There's been a lot to cover and probably a lot more we could have covered, but uh, I think you're going to get the gist of what this is all about and how we are trying to show the relevance of these Old Covenant feasts, uh, the way they can be relevant for the New Covenant Church today. Uh, these were pictures from the Old Covenant that is always pointing to Christ and everything everything that you read in the Old Testament is either going to be with the natural Israel as far as the things that God had established with them. Uh, but those things are, I believe, uh, pictures that are laid out also because everything in the Old Covenant was pointing to Christ's coming. And uh, that's what we're looking at in this and the way these things can be uh, brought about in our lives and we can see some kind of application for these scriptures that we can have for ourselves. Uh, the last uh, podcast we did, we got down to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 9. And uh, if you read uh, that whole chapter of Zechariah chapter 3, it's talking about the branch, of course, Jesus Christ that was coming and what he was going to do. And this, this verse in verse 9 is really a prophetic picture that's pointing to Calvary and everything that Jesus was going to do. Uh, I'm telling you, those death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything forever uh, for the for the whole earth. I mean, for mankind, for uh, even the things we've talked about, even uh, in atonement, that even the heavens got cleansed by His sacrifice and and his perfect blood. and uh, But I'm going to read Zechariah 3 and 9, and we'll go back into this today. And I think I'll get finished up with the Feast Day of Atonement, and uh, we'll go further from there. But in Zechariah 3 and 9, it reads like this, Behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land, in one day. And uh, here's the number seven again we see in this. Upon one stone shall be seven eyes, and seven means completion or perfection. So uh, this gives us perfect vision into the plan and purpose of God of what was going to take place. And we know prophetically it's pointing to Calvary because at Jesus once and for all sacrifice he made, he removed iniquity from the land in one day that day of atonement in the new covenant that he fulfilled, uh, all those that were represented before it, this was the climax, if you would. Everything culminated in him and everything was completed in him and he brought this to pass. And you remember on this day of atonement, on this high day, uh, Aaron the high priest would lay aside his garments of glory and beauty and put on the linen garments. And he would be wholly clothed in white linen as he made the atonement uh, for himself, for his all those family, and all for the nation of Israel. And likewise, in the new covenant, Jesus, our, our high priest, uh, Jesus took his garments off and he placed his king's apparel uh, on him. You know, remember when he was crucified, they took his garments and they cast lots for it. And then they dressed him up as a king and were mocking him. And then later on, they put his own garments back on. 
back on him before they crucified him. But you know, in the very beginning, the scripture talks about that he uh, basically disrobed himself of all his kingly authority and everything when he came to this earth and became the seed of Abraham. Uh, that's a that's such a prophetic picture about everything that Jesus fulfilled for us as our high priest and the things that he was going to accomplish because he was accomplishing the at one the atonement, the at one for us in the new covenant. And uh, Hebrews 9 and 7 says this, But into the second with the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way unto the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And I think if you go on down to verse 14, you'll find out that it talks about that the blood of Jesus was what was strong enough, his sacrifice was strong enough to free us from sin consciousness, that being our lives. And I love the way, uh, I believe it's the Apostle Paul that wrote the book of uh, Hebrews, or the letter to the Hebrews, but in that, uh, when we look at it, he talked about that tabernacle, that first tabernacle was a figure for the time then present, and uh, it represented the true tabernacle in heaven that Jesus cleansed. And uh, uh, to me, that just shows the pictures we're trying to look at from Old Covenant to New Covenant being verified even by the Apostle Paul. If you go down to Matthew 27, verses 50 through 53, whenever Jesus' atonement took place at Calvary, uh, Jesus, when he'd cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. But the reason I want to read this verse again is because uh, the veil of the temple was rent, and we know from reading earlier that we know that veil it was speaking of was his flesh. Uh, matter of fact, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that's to say, his flesh. So that really ties back to John chapter 10 about Jesus being the door to the sheepfold. And uh, he's made the way for all of us. He is the door that gave us access to enter into the holiest of all. We're going into the presence of God. We actually can live in the presence of God because we're in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, the picture of his resurrection given to us in the Gospel of John, it really shows us that Jesus is the true Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this was the piece of furniture within the veil where the blood was applied to the mercy seat, or it, Paul calls it in Romans, propitiation is where they put it. It had two cherubim facing each other with the mercy seat in the middle of it. It's what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. It was basically a box and had two cherubim facing each other on the ends of, of the of the ark. And uh, it had a mercy seat that was in the middle of it, and then that's where the blood would be applied whenever they'd go in uh, to that on that day of atonement. They only went in there once a year, is 
you know, that could go in, and that's to make atonement uh, for the people and for himself, for the nation. All that was taking place. But I said that to give you this. I want you to see this picture of Jesus as the Ark of the Covenant because whenever he was put in that borrowed tomb, uh, Mary and them went down to the tomb where he's at, and you know they looking for uh, the Christ. It says in John twenty eleven and twelve, but Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting. Now look at this picture: one at the head, and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. That's a perfect example. Of, of a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, Jesus is that true Ark. So the last part of this, on this atonement, I want us to look at the two goats that were offered uh, during this time. Uh, there was the Lord's goat and the scapegoat. The Lord's goat uh, died to reconcile the people. It really pointed to the death of Jesus as our sin offering. That blood was carried into the mercy seat when that took place. The scapegoat, hands were laid on it, and uh, the sins were spoken over that. And it, then it was taken and sent by a fit, man, a fit man into the wilderness, bearing away the sins, transgressions, iniquities, and the uncleanness of Israel. And really, forgiveness conveys the truth of the scapegoat, scapegoat ministry, because forgiveness means to send away, to bear or carry away. So the scapegoat went out, and usually die by the elements, uh, you know, or, or another animal or whatever, but the scapegoat was given in that fashion. It had to be whenever they offered, that scapegoat had to be without spot or blemish. And not a bone could be broken of it. And you remember when Pilate examined Jesus, the true Lamb of God, uh, he found no fault in him. Jesus' legs were not broken either when that took place, just like not a bone could be broken. They went to the others and broke their legs so they would, couldn't hold themselves up and they would eventually suffocate those that were on the cross crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, he had already given up the ghost. And they didn't break his legs, but they did take a, a spear and they pierced him in the side. Now when that took place, uh, whenever that took place, blood and water came forth. And we know from reading in First John that the we came by blood and water. So really what Jesus was doing when they pierced him in the side, he brought forth his bride uh, <laughs> that came forth out of his side, just like the picture in Genesis, whenever Adam was gone into a deep sleep and they took a rib from his side and Eve was created. I just had to throw that in there because that picture is so so beautiful to see that. Zechariah 3 and 9 says this, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I would engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So we know that spoke of Calvary. So I want to end with this on the Feast Day of Atonement. The Feast Day of Atonement really parallels with the Feast of Passover because what it is, it's really being a reminder of the precious blood of the Lamb and his sacrifice for our sin. Now I know we covered a whole lot of other stuff by that uh, through that, looking through the Feast Day of Atonement. But I want you to, I just want you to have that thought in mind. It's a revisiting of what the blood of Jesus has done for our lives. Thank you so much for joining me today.
I hope you have a great day and God bless you.